Hey, I'm Russ. And I'm Steve. Growing up in the 80s, we were introduced to video games, movies, and technology that made a lasting impression on us and forever enriched our lives. I think I'm gonna cry! It's been a fascinating journey to be a part of, one that we constantly treasure. Fire! Booty! Our goal is simple. Share our magical moments of discovery and geek out with lovely folks, just like you. Uh, achievement unlocked. So if you crave pixel goodness, memorable moments, and experiences that make your inner child do the happy dance, you've come to the right place. Let's do this! Welcome to Joygasm. <laughs> yeah! It's a colossal military disaster. We shall go on to the end. We shall never surrender. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. One of ours. He's on me. I'm on him. gentlemen and welcome back to joygasm where we talk about video games movies and pop culture my name is russ xbox live toaster 360 and joining me is my squeeze 
invisible sibling Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich, as we begin episode 28 on this July 26th, 2017. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to show us some love, you can find us on Twitter at JoygasmTV and Facebook.com slash JoygasmTV. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud at Joy, oh, excuse me, at SoundCloud.com slash JoygasmTV or search JoygasmTV on YouTube. And no matter which platform you use to consume the show, please drop us a subscription, thumbs up, or a review. It helps us build awareness, which we appreciate very much. And a big thank you to those who have done so already. Today, our show will focus solely on the Christopher Nolan film Dunkirk, which you just heard at the beginning of the program. Steve, how you doing? Well, Ross, I'm lost in thought. I, um... I, I, I feel like I'm still on the beach, <laughs> but not but not the California beach. <laughs> no, not not the Hawaiian beach. Not the Hawaiian beach. With the Mai Tai. No, um, not the relaxation and uh, sniffing the salty air and the saltwater taffy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. How are you? I am good. I am... In that, that mode of processing, for those of you listening, we decided to see it properly in IMAX for the mm-hmm. full experience, which was actually kind of nice to kind of check out the, the upgrades that the theater has gone through. I actually have not been to an IMAX film in quite some time. So everything was new. All the, the seats were nice and leathery and plenty of large gulp cup holders in there. Indeed. And had these uh, very... Sexy looking IMAX signs on both sides of the walls. Plenty of space, Russ. Tons of space. Yeah. So that was definitely nice. Uh, But yeah, I I am. I'm I'm, I'm feeling. What's the word? Pensive, I suppose. Just just reflective. Maybe reflective. Reflective. Yes. But um, but yeah, I uh, I figure we can begin by giving our high-level impressions like we always do of the film and then drill down into the following categories, which are cast slash acting, plot, script, cinematography, soundtrack, and costume design. So from a high-level standpoint, I think I'll begin. I was surprised by the overall presentation of the film. The the, uh, the trailer was absolutely phenomenal just just by itself even if i never ever saw the movie just the the, whoever edited that together did a stupendous job i mean just it was just really well done so it was interesting to go into the film and actually go through the the storytelling um through the the genius of, of christopher nolan because i felt like at a high level, it just, it, it felt a little bit of a departure from what I was expecting the film to actually consist of in terms of pacing and the focus. Not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing, but just I, I found myself kind of going, oh, huh, okay, when I was sitting there in, in the chair. What about you? Similar. Um, I'm, I walked into the theater thinking that, uh, I'm going to compare this to Saving Private Ryan, or this is going to be the next Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's my all-time favorite war movie. And 
this just, this definitely took a different direction, but not a bad direction, more of a, oh, snap. Well, they're going to put us right here. Okay, well, that (laughs) works. Uh, Wow. Um, So at the same time, that that was not a disappointment, um, but definitely an experience and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I felt that the film didn't try to be this Oscar worthy award winning performance. Like no one's right. Grandstanding and whatnot, but I was thankful for that. Yeah. Because this is, this is a history lesson and uh, this is something it's, it's definitely sobering. Mm -hmm. This is a a sobering history lesson. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of folks should see it. Um, They definitely make you feel like you're a part of it. It's in your face. Uh, There's, there's a lot to like about the film. Yeah, it's definitely a sobering film. So make sure that you're in the right frame of mind <laughs> when you go see it, because you're not going to be walking out of the theater necessarily all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but no, I totally agree. I think that folks owe it to themselves to check it out. It is something that I personally was not really aware of until the film came out. When I was going to the various history classes, they tend to focus on other parts of World War II and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I, I was thankful to see it in IMAX. Way thankful. To, I, I couldn't imagine seeing it on a regular screen. I mean, if you have no other choice, there's no IMAX close to you, then yeah, I'd definitely go see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Hopefully with a good sound system because, man, there, there was booming woofers in, in that theater. I don't know if it was just because we were we went to see it at a, a, you know right before dinner and no one was really there <laughs> or what, but I just felt all that thumping of, of the airplanes and the explosions. And- I believe it made $50 million over the weekend. It was number one at the box office. Yeah. I think that we came at a sweet spot. Yeah. where it's just people were getting off work and therefore it just wasn't filled up. And, and I, I was actually kind of happy about that. That's kind of cool. Maybe, maybe it's just me getting a little older in life. And I'm just like, you know, what? I kind of like a little space. Although I will say there are certain theatrical events that transpire, such as star Wars, where it is really fun to have the whole place sold out and you can feel oh, the true. Well, yeah, the I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. You got yeah. a full fan base uh, hoopling and hollering and looking forward to uh, Star Wars. But this, I mean, you just have history buffs. <laughs> Not going to be hoopling and hollering and doing cosplay and, you know, right. gesturing in the film. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I was surprised about was the duration or length of the film. Because I was looking it up and I was surprised the film is only an hour and 47 minutes. Yeah. And so going into it, I was thinking, man, this is not going to last very long. However, after sitting through the film and walking out of the theater, it felt like a three-hour movie. No, it did. And I think that was a a testament to just how... intense the film was you walk out of there and you're just you feel like you were a part of a lot of what the the british uh shoulders no british (laughs) soldiers had to go through they did have shoulders though they did yes british shoulders are uh very handsome Mm, indeed so anyway uh did you have any other high level thoughts about the film overall or shall we begin to drill down into the film i I liked the I liked all the the practical effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see in the trailer that uh, they're on the beach. They're using real planes. Yep. I mean, I I am very grateful for that. In this world of you know CGI, they can go back to practical effects, and I, sure. I'm very grateful. 
I think that was even shot on the beach of Dunkirk, if I'm not mistaken. I think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was refreshing to be able to see a film where it takes a much more practical approach yeah. to everything. Yeah. And I think it lends itself well also to just the, the period piece of the film. The, the whole thing took place in the, the 1940s. And so as a result... It just it felt that much more tangible to me, just because things back in the day were a lot more simple. You had no computers, you had no cell phones. The actual telephone itself uh, also was just pretty new. It was not around for very long, and so just seeing things that were just much more just metal and bolts and. <laughs> Rattles. Uh, yeah. Levers <laughs> and switches and just, just the antiquity of it all. Yeah. I, it, I, I really did appreciate that a lot. So, well, I say we step into the spoiler free elevator, Steve, just to let folks decide if they want to be able to continue listening to the spoiler version of this podcast or not. In well, fact, I'll uh, step in here and uh, push the doors closed, Russ. Uh, don't jump in the elevator this time, please. It uh, makes me nervous. I'll do my best. <laughs> this elevator needs maintenance. It does. But the speakers are good. The speakers are very good. <laughs> I like all the mirrors. Yes. Allows me to check out my bald spot in all the right yeah, places. Yeah, I can see my backside from the, from the front side. <laughs> I think that's enough time for folks to be able to make up their mind whether or not they want to listen to the spoiler version of the podcast. So moving right along into the um, category of cast slash acting. This is something that I was actually pleasantly surprised about. A large portion of the cast are made up of individuals that I have no idea who they are. I, I've never seen them before, but that's, again, that's not a bad thing. It actually, right. I think, acted as a strength for the film because I had no idea how to place these people other than them being in this time period. And so that's a, that's a, a wonderful thing. I think that's, again, uh, not to like you know, shoehorn Star Wars into this, but I think that's one of the, the big successes of Star Wars. The original trilogy was that was that it was made up of actors that no one had seen before. I think yeah. if you had people who were recognizable, then it just for some reason just wouldn't work. So I, I did enjoy that. I also really enjoyed how the, the more um, notable actors um, or popular actors such as like Tom Hardy, for instance, he had kind of more of a backseat secondary role in this whole film, even though it was still a pivotal role. I, uh, I thought that was actually refreshing because I'm so conditioned as a, a moviegoer to like, if I see some sort of bigger name or recognizable name, I'm just conditioned to automatically think, Oh, well that person's clearly going to have the lion's share of the scenes. And that just really wasn't the case for this. Um, and also it's the same thing goes with, and I can't remember the, the actor's name, but he played Scarecrow in, oh, right, in yeah. Batman Begins. Yeah. That was cool to see him in this too. It was, it was cool to have him come back. I'm going to actually go ahead and give me your, while, while you're giving me your impression of the cast and, and the acting and whatnot, I'm going to try and find out this guy's name. Well, as far as the cast, I mean, there's a, there's a t 
ton of extras. I think I was reading on IMDb that there was like 1,500 extras, 1,500 to 3,000. Oh, wow. Which is a ton. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't recognize a whole lot of people in it, but and I'm with you that that's A-OK with me. Um, one, one thing, if I could be a little critical is that, and this, and this is, this is a good thing and it's, it's, it's not so good thing. So I can take it or leave it. I thought everybody did a great job acting, but there was no in depth with any sort of character. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I, if I go back to Tom Hardy, I was very thankful that they were going back to him in a sense that, uh, he felt like home to me in a way, because that was the only thing I was familiar with in the film. Was Tom Hardy? Was Tom Hardy. And it, and I don't, it's, it may sound kind of weird like that, but I didn't recognize any of the soldiers on the beach, and I didn't recognize any of the soldiers on the boats and the water. But I recognized Tom Hardy, and I saw Tom Hardy's character as like the guardian angel. Mm-hmm. You know, And so whenever I saw him in the plane, I thought, okay, I can be comfortable here because he exuded a lot of confidence. And, you know, he knew his plane. He knew the territory. Um he could dogfight. Um, you know, he was a very, uh, you know, he, you could tell that he could size up the situation and choose the best case scenario. And, uh, even, even the causes or the, the actions of his choosing or the outcomes, uh, he could weigh all that. Um, and so whenever it switched to a different storyline for a different character, or Mm -hmm. if we go back to the dock or we go to the ships, uh, I thought, okay, you know, they might get shot. They might get bombed. Uh, someone else might get tossed in the water. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I, when it's, as soon as it went back to Tom Hardy, I thought, okay, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but in my mind, it made total sense. Yeah, I don't know if I felt safe whenever he was in there, but I, I do agree that seeing him as a rec- recognizable face, uh, I did feel a, a bit more safe, like what you're talking about, safer than a lot of these these other folks, uh, which is interesting. You know, Kenneth Branagh was also in the film as uh, I believe he was like some sort of admiral or commander, or, you know, high ranking officer in the the British army, and it, and his role also was small. Yeah, that that's what I think is is so. Once again, I've said it before, but just it's so refreshing is that you. All of these like heavy hitter names actually played more secondary roles, and the the main cast were made up of actors who I've never seen before. He's he was the villain in uh, Wild Wild West, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I recognized him from Swing Kids <laughs> too, back in the day. Also set in the forties, but he was on the the German side in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad he was in this one. He did good too, as as far as a small role that he had. Yeah, I uh, just thinking about it, I. I'm hard pressed to think of anyone else, and I'm I, I cannot. I'm, I apologize. I can't find this other actor from Batman Begins. I can't remember his name. The uh, the father figure um, in the boat, um, that little that little you know weekend fishing boat that we always went back to. Ah, found it. Uh, sorry, Cillian Murphy is his name. And who's that? He was the soldier who the uh, the civilians picked up in the boat and was all catatonic due to oh, shell shocked. Yeah. yeah. D- due to the, the, the U boat taking on his ship and he was trying to get the, the civilians to turn the boat around. He was also yeah. Dr. Crane and Batman begins. Anyway, right. so, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I forgot where I was going. With that. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> I was determined to find out what his name is. Um, 
Yeah, I forgot what I was saying. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> so the father figure uh, that was in the boat with the two boys, mm-hmm. uh, I, I he did a great job too. He, mm. you know, you, you don't know how these people were before this event took place. He could have been a family man. He could have been uh, a lively guy, um, but he knew his purpose and you could see it in his eyes. And he acted that very, very well, even with the small lines that he had um, and acting natural. Um, you yeah. could see it even in the trailer. I mean, we got a job to do. I mean, this is not going to be fun. This is not going to be easy. We might not come out of this, but this is what we have to do. We have to do this. Yeah, the actor's name is Mark Rylance. Is it Rylance or Rylance? But um, yeah, I think that that he, he did a really wonderful job as that civilian type of of role. Just because you just he evoked this sense of civic duty. Yeah, and you could see the conviction in his face. Like this is something that he just feels or felt compelled to do as a British citizen to go and and rescue these soldiers who were stranded. And I, yeah, I I think that, that he was perfectly cast for that particular role. The one scene I, that didn't make sense was after they pick up, uh, your, your guy, your Dr. Crane, Cillian, uh, (laughs) Mr. Murphy is, uh, you know, he's saying, you know, we can't go there. If we go there, we'll die. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, you know, the gentleman says, oh, well, we'll just plot a new course then. And he took that step of, okay, I'll mislead you. Yeah. You know, because he never went back to there any other time in the movie, which didn't make any sense that he was so hard driven, like we're going to do this, but I'm just going to appease you for this one second until you fall asleep and I'm just going to trick you. I don't know. That, that to me didn't seem to fit his character. I think actually I thought it was very fitting. I thought that due to his situation, he has a, a soldier, a British soldier that's on his boat. He's old and he knows he cannot physically take out this, this guy and that his son is too young. His son also would be mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And so he's trying to find the path of least resistance. And so doing that, um, allowing him to be able to, to move forward. And I, I found myself thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, yeah, if I was in his shoes, I'd do the same exact thing because this is why I'm here. The very fact that he was rescued was because I felt compelled to go and rescue as many soldiers as I can. And just because this guy's on a boat now and he wants to turn around, I'm not turning around. I'm going to rescue as many as I can. And so, yeah, th- that was, I thought, I thought a lot of those confrontations w- was, was, really well done. Um, the acting in this film was unique in the sense that there really was not a lot of dialogue. And so a lot of it was just having to perform just a lot of the, more of the facial expressions working with a lot of more of the, the fragmented, um, scripts of dialogue, that sort of thing. It was, it was definitely something that, and again, that, that surprised me. I was expecting a lot of dialogue in this film and there just really wasn't. Right. So yeah, they, they plopped you in the movie without much story. Well, there's no, there really is no story. History is the story. Yeah. yeah. So there wasn't uh, you know, you, you, you got to sit in the front seat from every perspective mm-hmm. on land, on sea and in the air. And so, yeah. And, and, I, I thought 
You know, I, I'm okay with there not being too much dialogue. I don't want anybody grandstanding. I want this. I want to learn. I want to be there. I want this to be an experience. And yeah, there could have been more, but I thought what was said was was good. Yeah, moving into plot, just since we're, we're kind of automatically segueing into that, uh, one of the things I did appreciate about the film was the fact that Christopher Nolan took this multiple vantage point approach with all of the different characters, which I thought was pretty cool. I liked how you got to replay certain scenes that occurred throughout the film, but from just different vantage points of, of seeing like Tom Hardy shoot down a plane and he's flying over some sort of boat that looks sunk and then, and psychologically speaking me as a viewer watching that, it's like, Oh, I just, it's just, it looks like a, a fisherman's boat or whatever keeled over. That's too bad. You know, that's, I guess it's just one of those, uh, the casualties of war, one of the uh, broken eggs, so to speak, and then moving on. But then being introduced to the, the people who were on that boat later on and seeing how the boat tips over and realizing, oh, wow, we're seeing it from this angle now. Now I had almost a, a guilty feeling as a viewer as to just how limited my emotional scope was where like I was only concerned about Tom Hardy, but then seeing it from this other angle forced me into also really caring about the folks on that boat. Um, and I think the, the, the approach to, to be just like you said, because it, it it's basically a, a story from history where everything's already kind of set up for you in terms of just the high level, what went on, it was really neat for Christopher Nolan to be able to go in and experiment with this notion that it's almost like there's this symbiotic relationship with cause and effect. And I thought that was, that was a really refreshing take on, on a, a war period, excuse me, <clears throat> a war period piece film. How about that? So I just really loved it. I mean, I loved how we saw the perspective of, the pilots in the air and they're doing something. And then later on, like I said, you see it from more of the, the beach perspective. And then there is a perspective from um, the, 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 a boat or a ship of some kind, or you'd also see perspectives from the different officers as well. And so that was also re really refreshing to just see this thing constantly going. And so it's almost as if fate or not, maybe fate's the wrong word, but there just seems to be this kind of, existential character that deals with cause and effect going on that is playing uh, a role in this film overall. It was, I don't know. It, it, it was, I, I actually, that was one of probably one of the strongest parts of the entire film for me. One of the best components that that was introduced to it because they could have easily just started from point A to point B, you know, and be able to say, Oh, this is where it started. And then, show everything happening at the same time right. all the way through. <clears throat> and I feel like in a way it's almost kind of, um, hearkening back to Christopher Nolan's older film. Um, Oh, nice. I oh, that one. Yeah. I remember that one. What was that one called? Uh, what was it called? Russ? I want to say nemesis, but it's not ne mm. memento memento. You know, memento <laughs> was a film where if you guys, um, haven't seen it. You definitely should. If, uh, if you have not seen it, then you might want to skip over this one little part, but in memento, it literally starts out in the middle and then works its way outward. So you're seeing what's going on 
more and more and more and more and more. And that was a really original way too, because then you, you kind of saw, um, fragments at first and then you got to see the whole picture toward the end of what was really going on and, and that sort of thing. And so I feel like it, while this was not uh, an exact replica of that, I feel like there are echoes to kind of the approach of that, which is cool because it's kind of him returning back to uh, his roots, so to speak. Yeah. No, I, I appreciated the different perspectives. Um, they, they didn't, they could have cut majorly, you know, cut back and forth, you know, three seconds here, two seconds here. This is what happened here. This is what happened here, you know, and, and uh, they chose not to, and they chose to have a little bit longer uh, sequences. Uh, and I felt, as the viewer, a little bit rewarded because, you know, did that guy die or did he not die? Or what did he think? What did he say? You know, if he did live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that, that was pretty cool. And, and I, I, at times I thought, okay, they're probably not going to revisit what they just showed, you know, from a different perspective. And then they did. And I thought, okay, cool. You know, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the more, more powerful scenes of all of the, uh, all of the sequences there from beginning to end is uh, towards the end pretty much when Tom Hardy's plane runs out of fuel mm. and he, and he, and he, you kind of already know that's going to happen. And I think he as a character knew that was going to happen and he was preparing for it as you always see him, you know, uh, uh edging the throttle you know, up, down, up, down, up, down, uh, trying to make the most of, well, there was uh, a moment where you could tell he was contemplating, should he turn around yeah. and go back yeah. or just keep going? Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you save lives on the beach or do you save lives in the water? I mean, either way you're saving lives. So in either way, you only got an hour's worth of fuel and, uh, you know, make the best of it. I loved it when he had to use chalk on the cockpit Yeah, because his uh, fuel gauge got shot and you're doing the mathematical oh, equations man. and everything. Okay. I got so much time left. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was pretty cool. Uh, but when his plane finally ran out of gas and his engine choked to, to quit and, uh, you're thinking, oh man, that, that's it. That's it. You, uh. You got to land somewhere and you see the silent plane and you can tell the propeller's not moving. Yeah. Think, everyone's thinking the same thing. That's one of our boys and that's a Spitfire. That's an awesome machine and it's going to wreck or it's going to crash somewhere, you know? Mm. And uh, this is this is the guy who was, who was looking out for us in the air. He's our eyes in the sky and he knew this was a one-way ticket and he's going to die, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't know if he's he died or not, but... Um, that to me really kind of started to grip my heart and my, my breathing at the same time thinking, <laughs> Oh man, is he going to make it? Like, how is he going to land? Yeah, that, uh, man. So yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes as well, especially when he was trying to get the landing gear to come out and it wasn't coming out. It just, it actually reminded me of Memphis bell a little bit where like, remember they were trying to get that tire down yeah. on, off the, the B 52 bomber. And yeah. so <clears throat> one one sequence I thought they, they wouldn't, uh, I thought it was just me looking at the detail, but when they bombed that ship and the ship starts to you know, keel over. Mm-hmm. And Capsizing, yeah. Capsizing, yeah. And I, I thought I saw oil in, in the water. I'm thinking, and uh-huh. I thought, huh, is that just me? Or do they mean to do that? I mean, I, they're probably, yeah, I mean, the thing got bombed. So obviously the oil is going to escape into the water, but that's gonna, that's not going to be good if, if anything ignites it. Yeah. And then they didn't go back to it. And I thought, okay, well. Huh, look at me. Huh, look at me know those details. <laughs> I'm Mr. Detailed. Mm-hmm. And then they went to this perspective and I thought, oh, snap. Yeah. Like this is <laughs> right back into it. And now it's the danger zone. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty neat. Yeah. The, the, um, the, there were several intense scenes in there and I think 
I'm still trying to figure out like the best way to describe it, but it it goes hand in hand with the fact that there really was not a whole lot of dialogue. It was more just, I I guess like perhaps the cinematography itself, which we'll talk about later, but just the, the scope of the film, just, just having almost like a, just, just the visuals tell the story for you. So you could feel the wind on your face on the beach, or you can uh, smell just just the oil and the water or whatever it is like there, there it was a lot of it was just or almost even taste the water as you're trying to get knocked back yeah. into it from another boat that's sinking you know absolutely nearly drowning and i think that's what it, it had just that that raw tangibility to it that you know when you when you look at the grand scheme of the film the film was actually quite small it was not some sort of grandiose huge film right but at the same time it, it doesn't take away from just all the, the different intense scenes and um, you know, another intense scene was, was when the, you had those British soldiers trying to get that one boat that had um, beached and all of a sudden, like they realized that one of the, the German soldiers was using as target practice and just the sound on that in, in the IMAX theater really just caused me to jump every time that happened and just thinking about how, any one of them can get shot, e- even though the person who's who's just you know biding his time or whatever doesn't even realize that there are soldiers in there. Um, th- there were a lot of scenes like that in, in the film that were just super intense, and you're just thinking, "My gosh, this is all I could think of in my head was just war as hell, war as hell." Yeah, <laughs> even on the the nice beaches of Dunkirk, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> war is still hell. I, I, I didn't, I didn't think I, at some point I thought, okay, yeah, they're using it for target practice and I could see, you know, the tight grouping of the bullet holes and uh, plus the, you know, the characters did mention that it was target practice, but at the same time they started like blowing that thing up. It was pow, 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 pow. I'm thinking, okay, did someone notice something or hear something that's happening on the ship? Cause they're starting to blow the crap out of this. Well, and I think that that's what, one of the things like once again, going back to Christopher Nolan's approach, he's not doing a point A to point B type film, it's very open to interpretation as to how you could take it. Maybe they, they just started shooting more and more at it because it was more fun. Yeah. You know, maybe they did see or hear someone. Once again, it's it's just up to the viewer as to what uh, you want to kind of approach that particular scene as. Uh, But another scene too, that I thought was just tremendous was the opening scene. Where you have just those those, those soldier boys walking down a, a war torn street, and they're just looking for you know food or whatever, and then all of a sudden they start getting shot at, and suddenly it, it, there's only one person left out of this group of boys who we just met, and I felt terrible for him just watching him just get mowed down one by one like that, and uh, it really plays into. Um, just the detachment that yeah. you have to put yourself in, in that type of situation because you're losing friends left and right. Yeah. How yeah. do you cope with that? How do you move on? And also just how do you not let go of the value of life? Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I detached is a good word because I, I was watching his eyes and, and his, his facial expressions to see, uh, you know, if he was going to break down and cry or he was just going to act terrified or yeah. just start shaking or something. And detached was actually what he felt because he was with a group of 
you know, either his convoy or his friends or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden they all die. He's in the living one. Mm-hmm. And he just kept on walking to the beach as if not, not like tra la la, nothing ever happened. But at the same time, uh, just okay. I made it. They didn't. And I'm going to try and survive. Yeah. Yeah. It's detached survival. Oh, absolutely. Everybody was in survival mode. You could tell. At the same time, they were still trying to be organized and be gentlemen. I mean, nobody panicked. Nobody panicked. And I think that that is one of the the biggest things about the military is when you're under stress or duress and people are pushed to the brink, there is that survival mode, that primal mode that takes over. And I think they did a nice job of demonstrating in the film how they had just enough stuff to do. Like you had the commanding officers who were having them build makeshift docks using old vehicles and and boxes and that sort of thing, or being able to line up in these different formations along the beach, standing even in the water, um, regardless of the fact that there were no boats ready yet. It's, it's those types of exercises that you have to do to keep yourself from going insane and having absolute chaos because everybody deep down inside is absolutely terrified and they want to get home. Everybody feels the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it reminded me a lot of the stories I've, I've seen like on YouTube or, other places where you have veterans talk about how the training kicks in, how like there are moments where you are absolutely terrified. And the only thing that keeps you glued on, so to speak, is, is just the, uh, the training that, that you've received. So and you did see that a lot in, in this film as well, but uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of dread, wasn't there? There was a lot of dread and there was, there's was no safe spaces. I mean, what do you, <laughs> yeah. where, where do you go? You've been driven to the beach. You can't go back in and hide in a building. I mean, you could, but you got the rest of the, the, the German army there waiting to cap you. Right. Uh, okay. The boat's going to take you home, but that's what all the airplanes are targeting. You know, first and foremost is the boats and then any ammunition they have left over, they'll mow you down on the beach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are you, you going to dig yourself a little hole, you know, and hide in there because the boats might leave and then you didn't notice it because you were hiding out in your hole. Uh, where do you go? Yeah. Where do you go? So... I mean, best to just wait your turn and hope for the best, I guess. There's another part of from the, the beginning. If you recall, that, that same character who survived, <laughs> at first he was squatting down to go to the bathroom and he wasn't able to do that. And then when he survives, it's just so funny how like he goes back to trying to find a place to go to the bathroom again. Like I was thinking to myself, man, I probably would have crapped my pants. Yeah. I wouldn't need to go to the bathroom after being shot at like that. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, another part of the film that I thought was um, very poignant was the the character. I think his name was Charles, right? The the boy who joined uh, the the other civilians on the boat. Uh, I can look it up. Anyway, it's the the boy who um, joined them and ultimately paid the price for it. And uh, the the scene with with him getting uh, knocked down the, the stairs on the boat due to the, the British soldier wanting to turn the boat around and him hitting his head on, on I think it was like George, some, George. That's right. Uh, that was, was a, just a really heavy uh, touching scene because you just, here was this, the 17 year old teenager who 
lost his life because he just he wanted to be a part of the the movement to try and bring the soldiers home and unfortunately there are real world situations that occur like that that are sad and ugly and just regrettable claim the innocent yeah absolutely but just that whole sequence where like you find out that he's blind and then he, he didn't make it and whatnot and um yeah just that that whole situation as well i, I thought was it was it, it was it was a necessary component to the overall plot even though it was just a, a small component but still it's like they could have easily just ignored those types of situations but so i'm glad that they decided to show that also too when the when the soldiers made it back um i loved the the scene with the blind man giving out blankets and how I was making the same assumption as some of the soldiers were, which was just he just didn't want to look at him. He was just doing things because he thought that they were failures when, in fact, he was actually just blind. Right. Um, and I, But I also appreciated the fact that all of the, all the older citizens were stepping up right. and were, were being the cheerleaders for these soldiers coming back and being able to try and, and pacify them, being able to give them food and drink and clothes blankets that sort of thing that scene also the one of the soldiers mentions that uh as he's being handed a blanket and saying you know good job welcome home he says good job all we did was survive he goes that's enough mm-hmm. thinking yeah okay yeah. <laughs> you did your job for sure and you survived you came back and tell the tale there was another line too when um the the pilot yep uh someone was talking to him and gave him some sort of guilt trip about something. Like, Where and, were you guys? Where's the bloody air force? Yeah. And then the, uh, the older gentleman who saved him on the boat, um, I can't remember what, what he said. He either. says, these men know where you were. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really did appreciate, um, those sequences as well. Yeah. The dialogue, like we've been talking about the, the little dialogue that they gave us, uh, just gave, a lot of insight into the times and the life and the circumstances, mm-hmm. not necessarily story, but all the circumstances. Yeah. It, and go, going back to, sorry to cut you off. No, co- you're good. Going back to the, the whole boat scene with, uh, with George, uh, being knocked down at, you know, accidentally losing his life. Uh, uh, the, the, the boy, I can't think of his name. I'm sorry. Uh, the boy in the red sweater, uh, the son of the, the son the of, captain of, the, or whatever. of the boat. Yeah captain uh he had to make a bunch of decisions too at his mm-hmm. young age going okay you know my brother is dead you know i don't think that was his brother i think that was his friend or maybe i think yeah his, his friend my friend's dead and obviously it was an accident you know it, fighting and cussing at this at the the, the soldier who was panicking basically because yeah. he or that he was shell shock he's been through everything he didn't mean to kill him right he just he just wants to see everybody safe and go home he wants to go home yeah and that whole thing where he was deciding after being asked, you know, is, is the boy okay? Mm-hmm. He's like, no, you can sit, you can tell in his face. No, he's dead. You killed him. Right. You know, but he thought, what good is that going to do right now? What good is that going to do? Yeah. Cinephotography. So this film actually had quite a few great framed shots. I absolutely loved some of the, the scenes where the boat was capsizing and yeah. then the camera was, was attached in such a way where you're seeing these kind of almost abstract angles of the water yeah. looks enveloping like the, and gulping yeah. up the, the, 
the ship and then the, the hapless crew. Instead of the water being horizontal, it looks like it's coming at yeah. you vertical, like a big wall of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was super cool. A lot of the the plane sequences uh, I thought were, were were good. I think that they could have probably done more with that. Um but the the scenes that that were there, it's like okay, yeah, that that was cool. Um, I definitely loved the the um, the sequence of the plane landing on the water. I thought that was pretty cool. Just um, they they spent a lot of time with the more of the the environments. True, and you can tell like like well whether they they were on the Dunkirk beach and it had a lot of that. Uh, I don't know what it was, but. Excuse me. The um, I think I'm gonna sneeze. I'm waiting for it. I'm, <laughs> oh yeah, Woo, get me. it. I'll blow my nose after that one. Nice. Don't get any on your microphone, Russ. Oh, I, oh, blow it out one more. <laughs> I can breathe. Okay. It's a miracle. Trying to kind of sneezed out my idea. What was what, what was my thought? Uh, oh, so they the had that weird frothy algae. I don't know what it was, but it was all over the beach, um, and it was cool how they they used that as a bit of a inspiration for the framing of some of the shots, and it, it was very artistic. I thought um, also just that that was a thing. It, it, like it was very much a minimalist movie. You know, when I think about whether it was just um, the dialogue or the locales, I mean, basically the whole film took place either on a beach or over the ocean. Right. I mean, both of those places are extremely minimalistic. There's, there is not a whole lot there to work with, um, but that's okay. I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it was definitely a, a conscious decision made. And as a result, you're just forced to, it, it actually, it brings t- to the forefront even more just the tragedy at hand. You know, right. you, you don't have time to like, dr- you know, drink in all of these different, <laughs> uh, you know, background action or whatever else is going on. I and mean, you're literally just, wow. It, it, yeah. And that's another thing too. It was, it was um, beach, the ocean and the sky. True. And even the yeah. sky was like basically clear sky. <laughs> yeah. So very stark canvas to work on. Yeah. That was a, uh, a neat angle when, uh, you know, they, those two, uh, 20 year old soldiers who were trying desperately to get off kind of sneaky, uh, onto a boat uh-huh. and, uh, <laughs> being tossed back to the beach. They finally are able to get onto one of the rescue cruisers and they're eating pizza, you know, even though it's greasy pizza, it doesn't even matter, man. They're just shoving that in their mouth. And he's looking all around and he uh, is questioned, like, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're, you're, you're safe. Why are you so nervous? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, uh, in case we get hit, I want to know where the exits are. How yeah. Talk and, about just, <laughs> yeah, learning a few lessons really quick uh-huh. uh, in your face style. Uh, and then they did get hit and, uh, you know, when the boat is starting to sink and everyone's drowning in this cafeteria inside, just packed in there like sardines too. Yeah. 
they could see the light from that door that was open and he mm-hmm. thought, okay, that's where I'm going. And he was the first and one of the only to get out. Yeah. And that you're right. That was a great, um, f- like just, just seeing cinematography speaking, um, or just from a cinematography standpoint, just seeing how like, like there's just this dark everywhere. This, this darkness is just shrouding everybody. And you just get this sense of desperation because you're trapped underwater. And all of a sudden that door opens and it's just that one light that just gives you enough there yeah. to work with. I also like too, um, there was another scene in the other boat that, that uh, the German soldiers were shooting at. And it was where the, the French soldier drowned. Um, that was also really well lit and framed in terms of the French soldier trying to get to the ladder and he couldn't, he like, I think his like, uh, I don't know, jacket or something was stuck on something. And just the fact that you could no longer see his face. Like at first you saw his face and his hands and he's trying to reach for the ladder and he couldn't do it. And all of a sudden he's getting pulled back, sucked back probably due to the water and stuff. And you see, uh, only his hand that's reaching out for it through the, the darkness at the ladder. And, and that was, uh, very creepy, but, but, still at the same time, a great idea. Yeah. You know, in a lot of these, a lot of, a lot of this film altogether, they uh, try and make this really pretty picture, uh, you know, regardless of, of the intensity of the story or uh, what they want to depict. But at the same time, they, they didn't try and confuse anything or, or distract you from, uh, you know, anything being too lush. Anything, you know, either, or the color or or the story or uh, anything like that. There wasn't anything intruding in it. It was very pinpointed to this one event in history. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't want you to be distracted of the nice colors or the CGI or even like partially the music. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but they really wanted you focused mm-hmm. on, on and pinpoint focused. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of a trip at the end when you actually got to see parts of um, Great Britain again and seeing just a, a place that largely was was untouched by war because you're just... I, that, that is always a mark of a good war film. I, I had the same sensation when I was watching Band of Brothers. You know, there'd be times when they'd be on leave and they'd go back somewhere and then you'd, you'd have a little oasis of... R and R, then you go back to the the hell at hand. Yep. Or in Saving Private Ryan, that same kind of thing, where like you're you're seeing the the person at the cemetery, and it just you're thinking, oh, okay, not a big deal. And then you go there, and you're like, wow, <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. So moving on to the soundtrack here, the soundtrack for me, I did not care for the soundtrack. I think that uh, it just. It, it was screaming too much for attention. And I understand that they were wanting to, to have it intensify like the, the, um, the different scenes that we were, we were checking out, but I just felt like it was just too loud. It was too much where like, I even had difficulty understanding what some of the actors were saying. And as we talked about already, the dialogue is few and far between. So yeah. I'm trying to latch on to anything someone is saying in terms of uh, exposition and I had some difficulty with that. And even though the soundtrack itself was intense, like it definitely just brought to the forefront more of that sense of dread, that sense of uh, hopelessness and threat 
and survival, that sort of thing. It just that there wasn't enough there to make it <sighs> memorable. Yeah, memorable and coherent. Yeah. I think the music went well with the sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not going to go out and buy the soundtrack, nor I, I will remember anything, nor if, you know, if I ever go to a Hans Zimmer concert. Oh, as well you should. Uh, you know, I'm not going to notice, oh, yeah, he's playing something from Dunkirk. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not. So at the same time, I was... I was a bit at a loss because they go, Oh, music by Hans Zimmer. And I thought, okay, great. We're going to get something good. Yeah. And then even though the music at the end was heartwarming, mm-hmm. I'm not, I can't even tell you how it goes. Yeah. You know, I, d- I just felt like it, uh, at the end, it was time to let go and take a breath. And finally, you know, this whole entire experience is over. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't see it winning any awards. I see it fitting the movie, but I don't see it winning any awards. Yeah, perhaps when it comes out on Blu-ray or I could watch it on Netflix or something like that, I'll be able to to listen to it again because it could have just been the fact that IMAX was just so freaking loud. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I mean, it, it was, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I can't even like formulate a sentence with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, everything was so loud. I mean, it's you're hearing all the gunfire, which was cool. I mean, it's going to be loud. Gunfire yeah. on those little puny pl- uh, airplanes. Uh that are made for lightweight yet with some armor on them. Yeah. It's going to be loud. There's no mm. insulation. So, uh, you got to be slapped in the face with it. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm going to yeah. blow my eardrums. Uh-huh. Uh, at the, you know, so that, that, that could have been just IMAX. I mean, I, if you saw it here, um, then it might be a whole different experience. Sound effects get a straight A from me. I, I absolutely loved the sound effects in the film. The music, like I said, a little too abstract for me. I, I was hoping for something else a little differently. But like I said, the whole film was just very different from what I was expecting it to be. Yeah. So. I, I like the sound for the most part. I did think they could have done a little bit better job. Um there seemed to be, and this could have been <laughs> just IMAX too. I mean, I had to go back and listen to it on, on your home setup. Yeah. But, you know, some of these big vessels have like this overwhelming mm-hmm. um, hum to the motor. And I didn't get that at all, either inside the ship or outside the ship. Uh, even the smaller boats, they have these little, whether regardless if they're diesel engines or uh, petrol engines or whatever, they still have noise and you don't really hear any of that at all. You just hear like the kind of the water wake slapping mm-hmm. up against the hull. And that was about it. Um, also, uh, the father figure in here mentions uh, how the Spitfires have the Rolls Royce engine in them, which was a phenomenal engine mm-hmm. still is to this day. And he says, that's the best sound you're going to hear, especially out here. And I thought, hell yeah. Yeah. Let me hear those Rolls, those Rolls Royce engines. And, uh, and anytime you know, you, the same engine was in the P-51 Mustang on our side. And they, they sound amazing. Mm-hmm. They sound incredible. And I wanted to hear more of that, especially because they're, they're in an actual Spitfire. This right. is not, again, this is not CG. Right. So I wanted, I wanted more. What they gave us was, was good, but not great. One of the things that I forgot to touch on back in the, the plot segment was that I really did love the scene where you had all of the the British civilians coming in with their boats, where they finally were able to to get there and rescue the soldiers and and hearing the cheers from the British uh, soldiers welcoming their 
fellow citizens there, just just having that that sense of unity. Um, that was a much needed exhale for me personally in the, the the theater. I thought so too, but at the same time, I thought that they didn't show enough of it. It would have been it would have mm. been neat if while you know those three the three the, the two boys and the gentle, and the gentleman mm-hmm. um, started to sail off to, to Dunkirk, if they had some sort of communication with other people doing the same thing, yeah, uh, maybe other people who had some war history to them. Um, all we saw was just one boat, and then we or we heard the admiral say that uh, you know the, the the small craft dispatches are have been sent out, mm-hmm. um, and then we saw all the boats come in all of a sudden. And even though it was nice to see them, I wanted to see other. I want to see more of that. See more happen, of it. happen in the beginning and in the middle and in the end. You know, right. all of a sudden we just got this flood of small craft, and we're like, oh, well, we're, everybody just showed up out of the fog. I guess, you know. Going on to costume design, what did you think of the costumes in the film? Uh, I thought they were period correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't, uh, nothing really stuck out to me. Um, one, oh, actually, you know what? I take that back. Oh, I take that back, Rosal. The pilot at the end. Well, not on this, the, the, the second pilot the, who lived. The one who survived. The one who survived, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was in some sort of suit. I didn't think the pilots were, I, I would have, I know. That was surprising. I, I, I did take note of it. I mean, he looked great, but at the same, and I don't know anything about the pilot's attire right. of the time period, but I thought, okay, um, uh, Tom Hardy, I don't think was wearing that. Maybe he well, was. Well, you never saw like because he still had his pilot jacket on. Yeah, I but I saw that the pilot that the blue jacket underneath the pilot's uh, little leather jacket. So I mean, I knew he was in a tie. You know, I within think the cockpit was he a French pilot? Because on the on the back of his wing, it looked like there was the French flag on the the tail. I don't, I don't recall. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly. Oh, I mean, obviously he spoke English, but yeah. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. But yeah, I did key on that as well. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know if they if that was kind of part of the the military attire or if that was just like his like lucky jacket or something. I don't know. Yeah. What was pretty neat uh, going with just sidetracking here with him is when he knew he was going to put the plane in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, he obviously his plane's not made to land on the water, so he's going to have to try his best to make this as smooth a landing as possible. Right. And uh, though it was rough. Uh, I thought, you know what? He probably did land that plane that way. Uh, he did seem to be a very experienced, knowledgeable pilot, and um, that he kept the plane afloat for as long as he could while that that, that latch was, um, you know, stuck. I thought, eh, I don't know if that latch would have been stuck. Maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. But hey, maybe that was actually a story that was told to possibly. Mr. Nolan by someone who uh, fought during that war, possibly. I mean, like I said, back in the day, those planes were primitive. They were they did not have the type of, of technology or user experience in place that we have today. Yeah. So those types of things failed all the time. Yeah. But even you know, even he didn't panic at that at that time. He was thinking like, ah oh, crap, you know. <laughs> I mean, but I mean I, I thought, okay, let's let me think about uh you know, who else, what other actor or war film uh, scenario this would have happened. And then the guy would have been going, ah, you know, after that, no, not necessarily after this, but I mean, he would be <laughs> screaming all you know, on top of his lungs and panicking and trying to break open the glass. Mother trucker. <laughs> yeah. And this guy would just definitely kept his cool and thought, 
you know, I've, this is where I'm going to die. I've perfectly accepted this, but it sucks. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want to die, but, um, he just didn't use, um, minced butchered language, you know, panic language in that situation. I was kind of grateful for that. So overall, how many stars would you give Dunkirk? Uh, man, I, I'm, I'm torn. Um, I did want more out of the film. I am going to buy the film and I will buy the film in the highest resolution I can and mm-hmm. with as many special features as I can. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's not up there with Saving Private Ryan. It's it's not. No. I, I didn't love it. I definitely liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot, <laughs> but I didn't love it. So I, I'm torn between three and three quarters and a four. Yeah, I would give it three and a half stars. Yeah. That's where I I, uh, will give Dunkirk. Just because like you, I enjoyed the film. I didn't find anything like terribly wrong with it. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's one of the stronger Christopher Nolan efforts. Yeah. Having said that, it's definitely one of his most original. Every film that he does is completely original. Yeah. And so that plays well to to that. And, And like I said earlier, I really did appreciate... Uh, the starkness of the film where you, once again, you literally had the, the set of a, either a beach or the ocean or the sky. Yeah. And then that combined with very limited amount of dialogue forced just the, the situation at hand to be at the, the, the forefront and act almost as a character into itself where you're, it's almost like an interpretative or, or excuse me, interpretive film. Yeah. So definitely glad I went to go see it. Probably will. It won't be one of those films that I watch over and over and over just, just because no. it, it's intense. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an intense film. And, and I would definitely encourage those of you who are interested to go check it out. Uh, if you have an IMAX theater, I think that is probably the yeah, way to go see it. Cause yeah. it's man, it's worth, pretty crazy. It's worth the drive. Even if it's a little bit further away from y'all, it, uh, it's worth the drive. I do think Christopher Nolan should get, uh, nominated at least for direction on the film. Mm. I think he did it, dude, you know, as far as we, everything we've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, the movie did leave us with thoughts and emotions. And, um, I don't know. I, I think he did take a lot of risk yeah, and making it this way. And I think that should be rewarded. Well, that about does it for this particular episode. We definitely would love to hear what you guys have to say about Dunkirk. So if you have any questions, comments, or just want to leave us some Dunkirk love, you can find us on Twitter at TV and Facebook.com slash TV. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash TV or search TV on YouTube. And I promise that uh, the next episode, we will not be as sober. I think both Steve and I are actually kind of <laughs> shell-shocked <laughs> from the film. So we're, we're, our, our energy level is, is cut down a few notches, which, I mean, that that is the result of, uh, you know, an impactful film in that, that regard. So Hey, when you see something like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy or Spider-Man, then it's going to reflect that. But if you see Dunkirk, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we'll catch you next time. Farewell.